Father God, this morning, I just want to be used of you. I just want to be your vessel. And so anything that remotely sounds like Melissa, will you just remove that in Jesus' name? Anything that looks like Melissa, anything that has the intention of the old man, Father, would you just crucify that fresh and new this morning, that today I'd be a vessel simply for your use. God, would you speak through me? Would you give me the mind of Christ, I pray? Would you give me the intention of your heart, Father God? And would you give me your word and only your word? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Would you open every ear here? Would you open every heart here, every mind here to understand and every heart to receive? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. First Chronicles 14. First Chronicles is not an exciting and new chapter. Like, you know, the Gospels, there's things going on all the time. Jesus is healing. Jesus is delivering. Jesus is speaking. He's teaching. All these exciting things are happening in the Gospels. But when we turn back to the Old Testament and we start looking at the genealogies, the names of who begat who, begat who, the son of who, the son of who, if you listen to it in your audio Bible, you might fall asleep. But here we are in Chronicles, and guess what? Some really exciting stories start creeping up. And this is one of those things. And so we're talking this morning about King David. Now, God said that David was a man after his own heart. And so I want to be known as a woman after God's own heart. You want to be known as people after the Lord's own heart personally. Amen? Okay, so then if God was calling David a man after his own heart, don't you think we ought to look at the kind of man that David was? It seems reasonable to use him as an example for our life in some ways. But one thing I want to caution you is that God does not say that David was perfect in every way. Because he was not. In fact, all of us know the stories of King David and his moral failures. So the only person that we example that is perfect in every way is Jesus. So I don't want to confuse King David and Jesus. However, I think David is an example that we can look at this morning. In 14, we're going to start 1 Chronicles 14. We're going to start with verse 8. We're just going to read a few verses here. In my Bible, it's called the Philistines are defeated. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up in search of David, and David heard of it and went out against them. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and wilt thou give them into my hand? Then the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will give you, give them into your hand. So they came up to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore they named that place Baal-perazim, and they abandoned their gods there. So David gave the order, and they were burned with fire. And the Philistines made yet another raid in the valley. And David inquired of God again, and God said to him, You shall not go up after them. Circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. 
And they shall, when you hear, and it shall, when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the balsam trees, then you shall go out to battle. For God will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. And David did just as God commanded him. And they struck down the army of the Philistines from Gibeon, even as far as Gezer. Then the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him on all nations. The word of the Lord. In verse 8, we start this story. Seeing that the Philistines hear that David has been anointed king. The Philistines were the enemy of David. They hear that he's been anointed king, and so they set out to find him. Now let's talk about a backstory. There is bad blood between David and the Philistines. Not only is there bad blood between the Israelites and the Philistines. This is a history lesson, but it's pretty interesting. But there's personal bad blood between David and the Philistines. Why? Because the first time we hear about King David, we hear about a little boy who is a shepherd. And he is keeping his father's flocks. And he is defending them against the lion and the bear. And he sits out and worships the Lord day and night, talking to Jesus and the sheep, talking to the Lord and the sheep, and protecting them. And this kid hears that there's a war going on between who? The Philistines and the Israelites, his people. And so you guys know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. The bad blood, the historical bad blood between the Israelites and the Philistines were hundreds of years old. And personally started when David was a child. Now, fast forward all these years and David is king. And David has vast armies. And David is favored of the Lord God Almighty. And the Philistines hear he's been anointed king. Do you think that they automatically just laid down that bad blood and were like, Yay, good for you, Dave. You rock. No, they were ticked. And you know what they wanted to do? Since the moment that little scrawny, ruddy boy stepped out on the battlefield, they wanted to kill him. And that has not changed. And so there's the backstory. There's history. There's bad blood. Now, I want to ask you before I move on. Do you know anyone like that today in your own life? Maybe not you. Maybe you don't have an enemy from long time. But maybe there's someone in your, your family that maybe you just don't get along. Maybe you just don't click. Maybe there's someone you went to school with that every time you see their name, it makes your skin crawl. Maybe there's bad blood between you and someone. Well, let's move forward. Philistines are looking for David, and in verse 9, this is what they do. They sort of call him out. They go and make a raid. What do they do? They destroy um, this city, town, territory in the valley of Rephaim. They bait David. 
They go and kill and destroy. That's what a raid is, right? They're baiting him. They're looking for him. Now, if, if David was a fleshy man who was not a man after the Lord's own heart, and he was a bit selfish, and he was a bit prideful, he might kind of bow up. Stick his chest out. Kind of thump his chest like, um, they're not going to be coming after my people. Right? Yeah. And David had a history with them. But that's not what David did. David, and this is critical to the entire sermon this morning. What does he do in verse 10? What does David do? It says, David inquired of God. He went to the Lord. No matter what emotional response he may have wanted to have to his all-time enemy, he did not go out, puff up, and run his mouth. He did not go on Facebook and start trash-talking. He had a right to, maybe, according to the fair laws of the world. He could have boasted, bashed, and trashed, but he didn't do that. He could have answered the bait, but he didn't do that. The first thing he did is he went to the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. He did not tell the Lord his plan. He didn't tell the Lord what he thought would be a good idea. He didn't tell God, hey, I know what would really work out well here. He questioned the Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go up against these guys? And if you do, will I win? What is it you want, God? Okay, pause. Something happens in our lives today, and you get bad news. Or someone you love and respect says something unkind and untrue about you. Or you get put in a position where you're forced to choose. Say this. Defend yourself. Say that. They're talking trash on you. Are you going to talk smack back? What's going to happen? Or you have a decision to make. Someone has bowed up to you. Someone has led you down the road of confrontation. How are you going to respond in that moment? Will you put all of your emotional feelings aside and begin to inquire of the Lord? Lord, what would you have me do? That's what David did. He inquired of God. God said to him, yes, go up against the Philistines. And yes, you will defeat them. And so David did exactly what the Lord had told him to do. Here's a question to ponder. Do you think if the Lord would have said, no, don't go, that he would have went? I think he would have obeyed. I think David loved the Lord and trusted him so much, that's called faith, that I think he would have radically obeyed God if God would have said, no, don't go. They meet the Philistines and David and his army meet at a place called Baal Perazim. Well, that is not a word that's uncommon around here. Baal Perazim has a deep meaning. And at this place called Baal Perazim, David swiftly and completely defeats the Philistines and immediately gives God credit. He names the place after him, Baal Perazim, which means master of the breakthrough. 
master of the breakthrough. He does not take credit for himself. He does not say, look at how obedient I was. Look at how strong I am. Look at how mighty my armies are. He did not say that. He gave God all the credit. He honored the Lord by naming the place Baal Perazim. How many of you know in this place this morning that one of God's names is Baal Perazim, master of the breakthrough? Why am I talking about this? Because I think that we talk so often in this culture in which we live and we minister and we live the kingdom in. We talk about, I'm re- I need my breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. I'm ready for a breakthrough. I'm in the waiting, but God's going to bring a breakthrough. He's going to bring a word that's going to break through my circumstances, whatever they are. We talk about that all the time, don't we? We expect God to live up to the characteristic of his name, which is God of the breakthrough, master of the breakthrough. We need our health to turn around. We need our finances to turn around. We need a word from God about where we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to work, how we're supposed to speak. And we're always waiting for the God of the breakthrough. This is where the name comes from. He is master of the breakthrough. And David needed God to break through. But David did not go to God and say, I need a breakthrough. I'm going to sit here and wait on my hands and do whatever I want. You bring the breakthrough. He inquired of the Lord first. He went to God first. And he said, I know you can do all things. What do you want me to do to allow you to do all things? David completely places God's will and God's desire above his own personal will and desire. It's not hard to imagine. If you had read um, in 12, 1 Chronicles 12, you would see an incredible listing of all of the mighty men of valor that God brought to David. Listen, these guys were tough. These guys were strong. These guys were talented. These guys could have defeated the Philistines without God, my guess is. But David was not full of himself. He was not cocky. He was not prideful or arrogant. He still put God's will over his will. No matter what he thought he could accomplish in his own strength. The Philistines then do this. After they're swiftly defeated, who is left? They abandon their idols. Why is that important? Well, in 12, they abandoned their gods there. They abandoned their idols. So David gave the order, and they were burned with fire. David did not want any vestige, any trace of idols, high places, or other gods to interfere with his people's love for the one true God. And so he did not leave them there as a temptation He thoroughly destroyed them. He burnt them. He left no trace destroying idols, gods, and high things that would go against the Lord God Almighty. Why is that important? How many times does God bring breakthrough in our lives, sets us free of something, and we don't burn it down? We don't destroy it. But the thing that he set us free from, we leave it back here. 
And we go back when we get stressed out. When life gets hard. When we're upset. And we pick up that high thing, that idol that he set us free from. And we play with it again. How many times have we done that? We go back and we pick it up. I call them bad coping mechanisms. And whether we want to be completely honest or not, we all have them. And God has set us free from so many things that are not just bad coping mechanisms, but that destroy our spirit. Insert vice. And when God sets us free from that thing, he does not mean for us to go back and pick it up and play with it. Why? Because we're dishonoring God every time we do that. We're flashing it in his face, whether we mean to or not. When we go back and we pick up that thing that he set us free from, that he spared our life from, whatever it is, we're dishonoring him in the biggest way. But because he's such a loving God and he's patient and he's patient and he's patient, he, instead of condemning us, will set us free again. And some of us, if we're really honest, have been set free time and time again from the same thing over and over. But what David does is significant. He doesn't just remove the high things, the idols. He destroys them and burns them so they can't be picked up. There's no temptation to play with them again. Idols are anything that come in the way of our true and authentic worship of the living God. Idols are anything that come in the way of us receiving his perfect love for us. Idols, high places are anything that come in the way of what we need to be doing with him first. Moving on, we cannot grow and mature in Christ-likeness if we keep playing with those idols, those things, those things he set us free from. We can't grow. We keep taking the same two steps forward and the same two steps back and the same two steps forward and the same two steps back. And do you know that you can two-step your way into eternity and never grow one step at all? And one of the things that keep us from growing and maturing into the person that the Lord desires for us to be, which is more like him, is when we go up and pick up consistently the thing he set us free from. Don't pick it up anymore. Let's burn it. Verse 13. So the Philistines answer David after the defeat and after he burns their gods. The Philistines raid again. These guys are nothing if not persistent. They come back for more. Now, I will say this. There's a whole lot of Philistines. I mean a mess of them. Millions of Philistines. And so it's not like they licked their wounds and gathered themselves together and hobbled back in and raided another town. There was just a whole bunch more of them, and they came and they raided another town. And why did they do that? They're still baiting David. They're still going after David. How many of you know that the enemy uses the things that God has set us free from and those we love around us in situations to bait us back into the thing we just got victory over? 
Do you think when you get victory and God brings victory in your life and the God of the breakthrough comes and he has broken through in your life, hallelujah, that the enemy's like, well, I'm defeated, I'm done, I'm going home. He does not do that. He comes back for more. Why? Because there's so much of him. This is his time. You see, he is the prince of this world. He is the prince of the air. He has free reign. He has all this time, and he knows it's limited. So he's going to utilize it the very best he can, and he does not miss an opportunity to come at you. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. His desire is to kill you, destroy you, steal from you, destroy every family relationship, every church relationship, he wants to set off the biggest bomb in your life that will affect the most people. He is not your friend. But make no mistake, he is defeated. But he's not going to tell you that when he runs his mouth all the time at you. But he's also not going to miss a chance to come at you. If you get freedom, if you get victory, if God of the breakthrough brings the breakthrough, he's on the other side of it waiting to come at you again. And just like the Philistines did with David, they raided again to bait him, to draw him back into an encounter that would be led by his emotion, his temper, his fury. But instead of doing that, our friend David does what all of us should do. He inquired of the Lord again. And in this inquiry, he did not make an assumption that God was going to do exactly what he did the time before. God tells David when he inquires of him first again, he tells him, this is what I want you to do. And it's not the same move I had you make before. You're not going to walk the same path. You're not going to fight the same fight. This one looks different. This time, instead of meeting his enemy head on, he came around from behind. God does a really cool thing here with the trees, with the balsam trees. I'm kind of a science nerd, and I'd like to explore that and go down that rabbit trail, but Jesus wants me not to, so I'm going to stay focused here. And so here's what I would say. How many times the one time you make this stand that God tells you to make, the next time it will not look that way. He doesn't do the same thing twice. We need to ask him first every single time the enemy baits us. And we need to not assume that the answer will be the same. We also need to assume that the details will not be the same. Why am I telling you that? We need an active prayer life where we're hearing from the Lord because what he tells us today is not what he's going to tell us tomorrow. Here's an example using God's word. People say, well, the Lord says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's true, but his word changes when he speaks to us. Here's what I mean. He told Abraham, take your only son, your precious son, up to the mountain and sacrifice that precious son to me. Kill your son for me. Take him, your precious, beloved son of promise, up to the mountain and sacrifice him so I know that you will hold nothing back from me. And Abraham goes. Do you think there was emotion involved with that? You think his heart was broken with that? You have sons and daughters? You have grandchildren? How much do you love them? Could you do what Abraham had to do? I have a son. 
I don't ever want to disobey the Lord, but I'm not sure I can pull that one off. Because I love him. So Abraham goes up to the mountain. And instead of being so distraught and so distracted with emotion, when he raised the knife to kill his son, the Lord said, Abraham, stop. And Abraham heard him. Because he knew and heard the active voice of the Lord. The word was go, kill, go, until it was stop, don't do it. If Abraham had been so caught up in his emotion and his stress and his, oh, I'm so, I don't know what to do, I'm frantic, I'm full of anxiety, he would have missed the word that said, don't kill your son. You guys, God's voice is present and active. It's a relationship. We talk to him, he talks to us. The thing he asked you to do yesterday to beat the enemy is not the thing he's asking you to do today. And we need to be sure we hear his active voice so that we don't hit our enemy head on when we're supposed to come around behind and listen to the trees. We need to stop trying to recreate the last encounter we had with God. We need to be so close to God that we know and trust his next move is the right move. We need to trust that he wants to talk to us and encounter us. We need to know he did it last week, he'll do it again. It won't be the same. We're not going to recreate it. We're just going to trust him. We also need to know and trust that he wants to encounter us way more than we even want him to. You think you chose him, but he chose you. You think you chased him, but he's been chasing you. He wants you. You want him. It's just a clear answer to his desire for you. He wants to encounter you. Don't try to fake it and recreate what happened last week. Sometimes a song happens in this place and it blows up. And we can be like, let's do that one again. And next time, nothing. It falls flat. we got to quit trying to recreate I'm not saying that we can't sing songs over and over because I think, I think there's something very special about just worshiping and knowing what we're singing. That's not the point. The point is this. We're not here to perform and recreate something that will make him come and encounter us the way he did last week. When he's already here, he wants to encounter us. It's a new way. Don't meet your enemy head on when he wants you to come around by the trees. In verse 16 and 17, we see that God brings breakthrough and victory Because David asked and inquired of him first. And then when God spoke, he obeyed God's plan. He obeyed God's agenda. He obeyed God's timing. He obeyed God's way. Not halfway, not partway. He didn't take the part he liked and the part he wanted and mixed them together. He said, I'm not going to do what I want. I'm going to do what he wants. That's why he had breakthrough. That's why he has victory. This applies to our lives today, right now. I don't care what it is that you're in the middle of. And you may say, I'm not even stressed out about anything. Like, I don't even need breakthrough in my life. Hold on. Something will happen and you'll need it. So if this message doesn't apply to you today, just file it away in your need-to-know quick file memory bank. Retrieve it because in a few days, weeks, or months, you may need it. Okay? By the way, it doesn't matter what you need breakthrough in, whether it's your health, your finances, your family, restoration of poor relationships, 
ministry, jobs, whatever. Somebody once said, I don't think God cares about the tiny little things of your life. Can I tell you, I think that's wrong. I think he cares about everything. I think he's the God of the details, and I think he cares about yours. You can treat this for the tiny breakthroughs and the big breakthroughs alike. Treat it the same. Go to him first. All right, let's wrap this puppy up. Let's land this plane. All the things that we see in this story, in this historical account, that apply to us today, like historic bad blood, reoccurring problems. Some people call them generational curses. Some people call them things that we struggle with, our strongholds, our addictions, whatever. Those reoccurring troubles of our life. Or going off in a temper. Getting mad, having an emotional response. And emotion is not wrong. We just can't lead with that, ever. Going off half-cocked in a temper. Or doing things our way, the selfish way. And then asking God to bring breakthrough on our terms. Not destroying idols in high places that God has set us free from. Or maybe they're still in your life and you haven't been set free yet. Or going back and picking them up if you have been set free. How about this? Living your own agenda all the time. Saying, God, we want your way. Your way, your way, your way. And then we go and do it our own way. How about trying to perform? And I'm not talking about singing or playing or dancing or whatever. I'm talking about performing in the life that Bob talked about this morning. You know, this whole service has been so intertwined. I've just sat over there and marveled at what the Lord has done. Bob's prayer from the very moment we started to the music and the worship songs that we sang have all been connected in this. We're not called to do religious duty. We're not called to perform a certain way. We're not called to chant liturgic Uh, uh, sayings and tradition we are called to be in a present relationship with the living God so trying to perform trying to recreate the last move of God trying to recreate what we saw on TV when the spirit broke out and on YouTube it looks so good that we want to just mimic that and try to do that that's not okay you know what those say these are all indications that we need a deeper work of heart holiness. We need a deeper work of grace in our life. We need something past our initial salvation. Otherwise, we're going to keep taking the same two steps forward and two steps back. Two steps forward, two steps back. There's no growth in that. There's no Christ-likeness in that. That's a rut. That's a rut. How many of you know if you take the same steps over and over, you got a rut? How hard is it to get a car tire out of a rut? Real hard. He's calling us to growth. He's calling us to Christ-likeness. He's calling us to an active present relationship. And guess what? That can only be accomplished in him and through him. And that can only be accomplished. You know, some people think that I love prayer and intercession so much that it must be my favorite topic. But do you know that sanctification is my most favorite thing to talk about ever? Because once when I was saved, I worked. And I strived. 
And I tried real hard, and I gritted my teeth, and I held my tongue just right, and I prayed, God, let me get it right, let me be holy, let me be holy, let me be holy, let me be righteous. And you know what? I cannot do that, and neither can you. But God wants to come and do a deeper work in you. See, that deeper work of purification, that deeper work of heart holiness, that's an old-timey term. I'm an old-timey gal. But what it really means is you have an inherent propensity and nature to do wrong, and God wants to cut that inherent nature out, that propensity. He wants to sever that, and he wants you to do right so you don't keep going back to the thing he set you free from, picking it up and playing with it. He doesn't want you to need that coping mechanism. He wants you to pick up him. He wants you to go to him. He wants you to press in and listen to the active word of God. He wants you to not keep going at your enemy from the front when he's telling you to do something different. He wants you to hear him and be so pressed into him that when we are tempted to go pick up that horrible addiction, that horrible coping mechanism that makes us feel terrible and shame and worthless about ourselves, he says, don't Pick up this. Yes. Don't listen to that. Don't you look at those pictures. Look at my face. Yes. Don't listen to the gossip you're about to spew out of your mouth. Listen to my present active yes. voice. Yes. Don't go to social media and bash and trash when you can pick up the phone and call a brother and call a sister and say, He has everything you need for life and godly living. Quit picking up the trash he set you free from. Pick up this. He wants you to be so dead to yourself, your agenda, that trash, that you, I'm not saying you're not going to be tempted to pick it up because you will sometimes. But when you are dead to yourself, there's this whole person to fill up with the Holy Spirit. That is living in him, for him, through him, him living through you. See, there's a difference when he cuts open your heart and he takes out all the junk that lives there that comes from that heart and he changes who you are. You see, when he possesses you in salvation, when you enter into salvation, you enter into a relationship with him, and he and you are in relationship, he has this opportunity to show you there's a deeper work he wants to do to grow you further so that you do not have to be a slave to sin anymore. That's what being the new man is. That's what being the new creature is. He wants to make you new. And hallelujah for all the times we've tried to do it in ourselves and it didn't work. Today's a new day. We don't have to wait for the new year when his mercies are new this morning. And he wants to make you pure. He says you are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You are holy. Holy people don't have to fight with those coping mechanisms. But when it's hard and we don't know what to do, we don't have to know. He has set a plan for us, his word, worship, each other. How many of you know we need each other so much? We need the fellowship of believers. We need a revival family. We need transparency. We need to be free so everybody can see. And then we need to be accountable. We need each other. I need you. I love you. 
You're my revival family. God set me here. And I need you to help hold me accountable. I need you to encourage. I need you to mourn with me and grieve with me and be victorious with me. And I want to do that with you. We need each other and God meant it that way. We need his active voice. And do you know that when we live a pure and holy life where he's first in every priority, everything gets done, one. And two, he speaks to us in such a way that when he's got a different plan in a different way and we ask him, we hear him. Because yeah. his sheep know his voice. Right. So will you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer? I may have been off the road this year and I may have I may be going through a different ministry time in my life but my goodness sakes I'm still the same girl at the core of who I am and I never ever want to miss an opportunity for us to pray and get this right okay I want us to just consider if any part of this word this morning came for us And that if there's something he's asking us to do in response for this word coming for us. If you need breakthrough in any area of your life, my question is, have you inquired of God and got his plan? Let's start with that. Let's just start with that. Do we need to inquire of God what he would have us do for the breakthrough to come? And instead of us saying, God, we have a great idea, we ask him, what's his idea? Maybe we keep picking up the same idols that we were supposed to burn and coping wrong. Maybe we haven't heard the present active voice of God and we don't even know how to come to him for our marching orders because we aren't in the kind of relationship where we would hear him. If any of these things are more and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I don't... I want you to just step up front and pray a prayer of obedience. I want you to just be obedient to him. But I really think it's important that we step up and step out because there's got to be accountability somehow. And also, he can totally change our lives and bring breakthrough and victory in our chair. But if we step out and let it happen up here, it may be the cause and catalyst for someone else's breakthrough. Let's do this together. Brady, would you turn that off, my son? And, and, and let's just pray and let's just really seek what the Lord is asking us to do. And so, God, in this moment, we're inquiring of you. And we're all at a different place in our journey, God. We are. We're all at a different place in our journey. And some of us need breakthrough in an area of our life desperately. And some of us have inquired of you. And we're still walking out what you've asked us to do. But Father, in the waiting, we've been discouraged. Will you bring encouragement to us this morning? Father, will you help us as we walk out your plan for our life? God, some of us cannot even hear you when we've made inquiry. We've made inquiry of you and we can't even hear the response because the truth is, God, we're not living a life where we're considered your kids, your sons, your daughters, and you're our papa, and we're not your sheep, and we don't hear your voice, but this morning we need for that to change. We need for that to change. Father, we want to be in right relationship with you, not just so we can hear you, but because, God, we need you. 
We can't say you're King Jesus if you're not our King. We can't call you Lord if you're not our Lord. And so God, this morning, if we need to make you Lord and King of our life, would you just prompt us to move and accept that invitation? God, this morning, some of us have drifted away. We have. We've drifted away from the voice. We've drifted away from the peace and the rest that comes from sitting at your feet. And now when we make inquiry, we hear you, but it seems so far away, so distant and muddled, and we can't quite understand the words. And so, God, this morning we're asking, would you draw us back in this invitation to come closer and deeper? Father, we just repent for drifting. We repent for slipping away and letting things get muddy. God, we want to hear your active, present voice. And so, Lord, this morning, we just accept this invitation to recommit our lives to you. God, some of us this morning are still dealing with the old self. We're saved. We're in salvation relationship, but we're still dealing with the heart propensities of sin. We're still dealing with the old ways. We still want to keep going back and picking up the things you set us free from. And God, we don't want to keep doing that. We want to be changed. We want to be holy. We want to be Christ-like, like Christ. We want to look like Jesus and sound like Jesus. And the truth is we don't because we're striving to do it in our own self. But this morning, you're calling us to put that old self to death. Crucify our flesh. Crucify our agendas and our pride and our self selfish ways and become a vessel fit to be filled by your Holy Spirit fresh and new. Father, we call that sanctification. Would you purify us and sanctify us today? Would you draw someone forward that they don't have to live in that old way, that human sinful way, but set us free from that today that we can be your holy people. Father, some of us today just want to repent again for picking up that old coping mechanism. And today, we want to come up and lay it down. We want to come up and lay it down again. But this time, we're going to lay it down and we're going to burn the thing. We're going to burn the thing. The depression that swallows us whole. The anxiety that keeps us up at night and makes us lethargic during the day. The medication that we take to help us function, God. Father, the things that we do to self-medicate ourselves. I won't name all the things, but God, I believe you're calling us to lay those things down. The high that we're looking for when we look at pornography or we do something or have some sort of relationship we shouldn't have. God, those things, you're asking us to lay them down and not just lay them down and walk away, but burn them. So God, help us burn them today. Something as simple as gossiping or talking yes. poorly about others is sometimes a coping mechanism and we look like it's okay. It's not that bad, but the truth is it's terrible. It's death. God, help us burn that thing today and not pick it up in Jesus' name. God, overall, we just thank you this morning for being our father and that we're your sons and we're your daughters in this place and that you've met with us and you've encountered us so real today. Would you just continue to transform us? We want to grow. We want to mature. 
We want to work toward being Christ-like. So God, we don't want to take two steps forward and two steps back anymore. Anymore. We want to grow. We want you to just propel us forward. So Father, we want to step out of the rut that we have walked ourselves into. Father, we want to step out of the rut and we want to roll freely toward you. We want to grow. Like Bob prayed this morning, we want to look more like you and sound more like you. We want to be more like you, Jesus. Will you, Father, by your incredible grace and mercy, help us step out of the rut and grow to be like your son, Jesus. Show us areas of our life that we need to submit to you that don't look like Jesus. As Brett as we pray in this house all the time to sweep out the corners. God, I pray that you just take a spotlight to every area of our life and just shine it all over. And the areas that don't quite look like Jesus, just mark them, Lord, so that we can just submit them to you. Now, Father, I pray more than anything this morning that when we stand up from this place, when we walk back from this place, when we leave this place today, that every commitment that we made to you sticks. That, God, we don't just do it for today. We don't just do it for a couple hours. But then we tell somebody, the Lord is transforming me, and I want to walk it out. I don't want to go back to looking like I did before we started this service. So, God, will you help us to remember the commitment we're making before you now so that we continue every day to choose you, to choose this transforming work. We love you today so much. Thank you for listening to the River City Hope Church podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on social media. For ways to give and more information, go to hope4rivercity.com. Hope4rivercity.com.